The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're picking up uh, on the heels of a wonderful sermon last week by Tim Pitzer, uh, looking at the uh, the sense of restoration that we find uh, in Christ uh, that we've looked now for three, this is the third week of kind of a mini-series within our overall series of the undaunted life, uh, that David's life uh, of looking at this man who pursued God was a man after uh, God's own heart, but yet a man uh, who was fallible just like us, who fell into deep moral failing. Uh, and who was under a severe consequence by God, but yet never faltered in his love and pursuit of God. Uh, Ralph Davis, one of my professors and a pastor and writer, wrote, to be a man after God's own heart is not to be sinlessly perfect, but to be, among other things, utterly submissive to the accusing word of God. One of the things that shows a person who really pursues God is when God's Word accuses us, when we're caught uh, on, as it were, the other side of the line uh, from God's holy uh, standard uh, that we are willing to submit ourselves to His accusing Word and to repent and turn. And we see that beautiful thing within David's life. We've seen how sin and the allurement of sin and the seduction of sin uh, takes us, as it were, to places we never would have expected ourselves to go. That sin is powerful and it takes us to these places and then it keeps us in these places longer than we ever would have thought that we could be held and there's a costliness to it that we never would have dreamed. It takes us where we never wanted to go, keeps us longer and costs us more. But then when we're there, the beauty of the gospel message is it doesn't leave us there. That there's a restoration from sin. There was the beautiful confrontation last week of Nathan uh, with David. uh, And God's forgiveness uh, to David uh, through Jesus Christ. uh, Because uh, David was saved by faith in Christ. Just as we are saved by faith in uh, Jesus Christ. And that his repentance uh, simply accessed the grace that was his in Christ. It wasn't the basis of his salvation. Christ substitutionary death was that basis. And this week we're going to look at the consequences of sin. Most of us want to stop after last week. Well, I said I'm sorry. Well, I'm forgiven in Jesus. There shouldn't be any consequence, but we wouldn't be rightly reading the Scriptures to not look and to consider the very severe consequences of sin in David's life and therefore the severe consequence that sin has in our own lives. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me uh, to chapter 12 uh, of 2 Samuel. We will begin uh, reading at verse 7. This is the very word of the Lord. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it were, and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why do you, have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed 
uh, him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sins. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you were utterly scorned, the Lord uh, have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not. Nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him, for the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while, he was, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that the servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, washed, and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And he then went into his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went in to her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah which means beloved of the Lord, because of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. So before we get to the consequence of sin, it's important to build to it uh, with two different things. I don't think we can fully understand consequence unless we understand again uh, the, the context of sin and then the context of grace. So the first thing we're going to look at is the deep offense Uh, of sin towards God, then the incredible graciousness uh, of God towards us, and then finally the inescapable consequences of our sin. So you may think, we've already dealt with this, but I want to deal briefly again uh, with this deep offense of sin to God, because so many of us who have experienced consequence in our life, how many of you have done something and experienced a consequence? All of us, both positively and negatively. But there is consequence to action. And that's something that we need to know, especially uh, growing in a world where we hide in the midst of seeming anonymity behind keyboards. We hide within uh, real but yet unreal relationships and wonder uh, why there's consequence. The first thing that we learned here 
is that there's consequence within our lives because of the deep offense of sin towards God. Verses 9 and 10 uh, really highlight this. Uh, We can't understand God's fury uh, towards us and towards sin unless we catch a view uh, of David's sin uh, towards God. Uh, And what we see in verses 9 and 10 is he uses the word twice, despise, baza, it would be the Hebrew word, or to treat with contempt. He says, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil? Why have you broken a standard? Why have you broken a, a rule? And we say, okay, uh, I've despised the law and I've done this. But he goes further in verse 10, he goes, why have you despised me? He says, your offense shows that you don't just despise my law, you actually despise me. You're not just showing contempt for my rules, for my holiness, you're showing a deep contempt for me. He doesn't separate the two like we do. Oh, I just sinned, but I still love God. I'm not showing contempt to God. He was saying, no, David, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that the willful desertion of holiness towards our own determination of what's right and wrong, our desire to move towards that is actually showing a deep and a profound contempt to God himself, his personhood. And so in the midst of a confession uh, where we can reel it off and we say, God, forgive me for the things that I have done and forgive me for the things that I have left undone. God is saying, what we're really saying in there is, God, forgive me for my contempt towards you. An illustration that I saw, which I thought was powerful, uh, was Franz Joseph Haydn, Haydn, the 18th century composer who was masterful and wrote manuscripts and they were beautiful and profound And everyone thought that he was amazing with the exception of one particular person in his life and it happened to be his bride. Because she took his manuscripts and in a biography of his life, this was found out later, she would take his manuscripts and she would cut them up and she would use them as hair rollers, papers for her hair rollers. And that picture of taking his manuscripts wasn't just saying, I have contempt towards your music. It was saying, I have contempt for you. I, I despise not your music. I despise not your writing and your art and craft. I despise you. And what Nathan was pointing out to David was, David, you need to understand, and by means of us learning through Nathan's teaching to David, that we need to understand that when we determine to set aside God's holy standard and to go do our own thing, to determine the best course of action for our lives, regardless of how we do it, that the end justifies the means, that what we're saying to God is that I not only despise your law, I despise you. That's how God sees everything in this manner. He is deeply and profoundly offended by this. And you go, but I don't understand why. Let's put it in a parenting situation. Those of you who are parents would say to your child, it was prom season, and blazoned not only in prom season, but blazoned upon uh, the, uh, the dashboard of every car that a teenager drives blazoned upon their cell phones, blazoned upon uh, their room walls, and as they leave the house should be be this statement, nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. And when the child willfully shows up at 1 a.m., the child isn't saying, Dad, Mom, I think you're nuts. 
I think that 12 o'clock is unfair to me. It's restrictive. I'm feeling some aggression from you towards me. No, it's saying, Mom, Dad, I hold you in contempt. I disdain you. I despise you. I don't just don't like, I not only don't like your laws, I don't like you. I don't respect you in the middle of it. And so, young people, that's just a little bit of why your parents get frustrated when you break the rules. If you want to know why, that's why. Because those willful disobediences are saying to the parent, I disdain you. I despise you. It's the spouse who says to her lover and husband. It's the spouse who says to his wife and lover and best friend, I know that we made these agreements, uh, but I'm going to have a few girlfriends on the side. I'm going to pursue another man uh, on the side. I'd still like to be married to you. Uh, Yes or no, maybe, maybe not. But what that's saying isn't just a breaking of the vow. It's saying a, a deep disdain for the other person. A deep level of distrust. A deep level, as God would say, of contempt. And David understood this. Because his confession came out that way. God, it's against you and you alone that I've sinned. I realize that my sin was an offense to you. I realize that it was more than a breaking of a moral code. It was an affront to your personhood. David understood the magnitude of his sin. Because he knew that God did not take lightly any expression of sin. Oh, we would be wise to understand that. That God doesn't take lightly to any expression of sin. And you can consider what that is in your life. That we just keep a little bit over here. We're generally pious, but we want to keep just a little bit over here. Well, it's okay that I drink too much. It's okay uh, that I window shop and just look at other women and flirt a little bit. I'm never going to actually purchase anything. Uh, It's okay that I uh, do this or do that. It's okay uh, that I just have this... David would say, no, no, no. Every bit that we keep in there is showing a contempt not for God's law only, but for God himself, the lawgiver. Because the law is breathed out. His word is breathed out. It is an extension of himself. And to to despise this is to despise him. Oh, wouldn't we be good to be reminded not to invite snakes into our beds? What a great illustration last week. How many of you have thought about snakes in the bed this week? <laughs> Got into bed and lifted back the cover like, anything? Okay, good. But that picture of saying, I can just play for with it a little while. That picture of sin, which is like uh, the man who went to the carnival and paid a quarter to dance with the bear for one song. And the music ended. And they kept dancing. And the bear's trainer said, hey dude, the bear... I mean, the song's over. Quit dancing. And he looked at him and he said, don't tell me, tell the bear. (laughs) When it grabs you and it grips you, you realize what you just invited into your home. Husbands and wives, consider what you're inviting into your marriages. Parents, consider what you're inviting into your home. Young people, consider what you're inviting into your souls by what you watch and what you consider and what you listen to. All of these things. Consider because these things which we take so lightly, God did not take lightly at all. There is a deep and a profound offense to sin. 
But on the flip side, there's an incredible graciousness that we find in God towards us. The incredible graciousness of God towards us. First, that offense, that incredible offense, uh, the deep offense of sin towards God, but now the incredible graciousness of God towards us. Look at what happens there. It says that the Lord sent Nathan to David in chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to find David. There is a grace that pursues and exposes the sinner in his sin. One writer called it the vigilance of grace. What an incredible thing. You read all through chapter 11 and chapter 12, uh, or chapter 11, that David sent people. David sent, David sent, David sent, and God was quiet. And then God comes onto the scene in chapter 12, 1, and he sends Nathan. And you may go, that doesn't sound gracious. But the Lord will not allow His servant to remain comfortable in his sin. The Lord will ruthlessly expose the sin of His loved one to keep us from settling down in it. You see, the opposite of God's love would be for Him not to send a Nathan into our lives. But because of God's incredible pursuing grace towards us, He wants to expose sin in your life. And we just appreciate that, don't we? Officer, thank you for exposing the sin in my life that I was going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit and I want to have a deeper and more profound uh, piety in my life. And so I'm going to worship God right here while you go back in your car and write me up for that big ticket. I'm going to thank you for that. That young people are so thankful for the parents' prayer. And by the way, parents, here's a prayer you need to pray. Lord, bring to light all the things that my child is doing in secret. Seriously. Need to pray that prayer and pray that it would be. And by the way, young people, that is a gracious prayer of your parents because it can actually save your life. I know of a man who went to the mailbox and in the mailbox were three or four letters from attorneys saying they were willing to defend his child. Father went to defend my child. Called the child who was away at school. Said, I got some interesting mail in the mail today. Anything I need to know? Oh, no. Yes, sir. There are a few things. God brought it and exposed it in that, in that boy's life so that that young man could get help from something that was going to kill him. He'd invited snakes into his bed. And they were going to destroy him. And God exposed it. Do you think the young man said, Oh, I'm so thankful for a father like you. Oh, That you're doing this to me? Oh, thank you, Lord, for I have my car taken and all my privileges and my credit card and all of these things. This is such a blessing and a divine grace from God. Is that how he responded, do you think? Of course not. That's not how you respond. But you see, God loves us so much that he's willing to pursue us and to expose our prayer. By the way, friends, a Nathan in your life is an incredible grace. If you are married, you are married to a Nathan, by the way. Your spouse is an incredible grace in your life for good to help to bring these things to light. God's pursuing grace is not always enjoyable, but consider the alternative. What if grace didn't pursue you? What if grace just abandoned you to succeed in whatever your venture was? That's not love. No parent would do that. Would you, parents? Would you just let your kid, oh, well, I'm just going to let them go? No, you're going to pursue them. 
You're going to come and you're going to try to expose that within their life so as to bring them back and to show them uh, the significance and the danger of what they're doing so that it can lead them to repentance and change and to restoration and to life in all of its fullness. That's what it's about. That's what those things are all about. But God's pursuing grace is not always enjoyable, but consider the alternatives. And the beauty of God's grace is not just that it pursues us, but it covers us. It doesn't just pursue us, it covers us. Look at verse 13. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. I understand that my sin isn't just against Uriah. It's not just against Bathsheba. It's not just against all the other people that I've sinned against. It is against the Lord and Him only. That is the source. That is at the very crux of it. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. The Lord's put away your sin. You shall not die. Look at the incredible grace of God that is on full display in this passage. God says to David, oh, David, look what I've done for you. I've taken you from shepherd to king. I've given you kingdoms. I've given you power. I've given you all of this. And I would have given you more if you just asked. David, I'm an incredibly gracious God and Father who loves to bless His children. And now I've covered your sin. His grace is on full display before David and before all of us. He says to us, I have ultimately covered your sins. David's sins demanded capital punishment. Somebody had to die. David had committed not just one, but multiple murders. And he had to die. He was an adulterer. He deserved to die. And look at Nathan's word. Your sins are covered. Your sins are paid for. Your sins are taken care of. And you're not going to die. So what did God do with His law? He can't just set it aside. So someone had to die. And we would look and go, oh, the baby died. The baby took his place. The baby, and we're going to talk about there was a serious consequence to his sin. But someone had to come and make right what was wrong. To pay the full penalty. And that was not the child. It was another child. Who would be born from David's lineage. The true king who would one day be born and be raised in absolute perfection. And would go before God and would drink the wrath of the cup for David's sins. And would be able to, Nathan was saying and pointing, Hey David, one day down your line, there's going to be one Yeshua. There's going to be one Jesus who is going to be born. And He is the very Son of God. And He is going to stand in your place. And He is going to pay for all of your sin on your behalf, because somebody has to pay. Blood has to be spilled. Because you see, God can't just overlook sin. We've already seen that, right? It's an offense to Him. He despises it. Because it's us saying we despise Him. And David had said basically, God, I want her and I could give a rip about you. Oh no, now I'm caught. She's pregnant. I don't trust you, God. That you can work this out. And therefore I'm going to murder men. I'm going to destroy lives. And the way that you understand the great offense of that. Is that if you read in the Hebrew. Interesting that the subject. That Uriah the Hittite you killed. That Bathsheba the woman you took. It puts it up front to make sure that you understand. There is cost. And costliness. But there's also atonement that comes. God says it won't be you David. You see, the beauty of us reading this passage, 
We know the rest of the story, right? We know the one who came. We know the one who stood in our place. We know the good news. And I want to make sure that you hear it today. Folks, for our offenses, all of our offenses, by the way, are capital offenses now with God. For the punishment and the wages of sin is death. And so all the little ones and all the big ones, all the little pet ones that you invite into bed and like having there, and all the sinister ones that you're saying, I'm not the kind of person who does that, all of those things uh, demand death. And so we stand having to in front of this judge, and it's a death sentence case. And we need to know that there's someone who's standing on our behalf. And Jesus Christ said this, If you have faith in me, if you repent of your sins and you believe in me and you trust in me and you allow me to be your Lord and Savior, I will be your penal substitute. I will hold out my hands before my father and say, this one is paid for. I will stand before him and say, all of his, all of her sins, all of those things which demand death, take my death, father. And there is no double jeopardy in this. Understand, when we talk about consequence, that is not a double jeopardy. That is not another payment for sin. That is a consequence of sin. That the payment of sin is upon God, upon Christ Himself. And we have this deep assurance that that salvation is utterly ours in Christ. And here's how we know that. The Hebrew actually says this. Instead of Him saying that the Lord also put away your sin, when He says that in verse 13, it actually says the Lord Himself did it. The Lord Himself did it. He didn't use an an envoy. He, He didn't use an ambassador. He didn't use anything else. He said, I put away your sin. I'm the God of the universe. I'm the judge on the throne. I'm the one. I declare it. I'm taking care of it. I'm getting it done. It's through Christ who is fully God and fully man, equal with God the Father in glory and in power. All of those things. So we have great assurance that our salvation is secure in Christ. Do you believe that? No matter the depth of your sin, that through faith in Jesus Christ, you have absolute assurance that God Himself has put away your sin and put it on Christ, and that you are now free, that you are now justified, adopted, and are perfect in the sight of God. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then we can go to verse and chapter, or excuse me, point number three. If you don't, then we can't. Because consequences of sin don't make sense unless we are absolutely convinced of the depth of our sin, had to be atoned for in Christ. And it is fully covered in there. And that's the biggest deal. That one has to be satisfied. Now, if we believe that, we can understand everything else that happens. Because here's the reality. There is an inescapable consequence of sin. Actions have consequences, right? Right? That seems to be lost in our world today. Actions have consequences. We want to believe that they can be litigated against. We want to believe that they can be spun uh, in the media. We want to believe that it will happen in private. Maybe it can be kept in private. But, but sin has consequences. And there is a current consequence uh, and there is an eternal consequence. The current consequences for David's sin uh, was unbelievably harsh. What we understand is the cross defangs Uh, The bite of sin, the fatal bite of sin, but it can still have devastating consequences. And some of you experience that in your own life. You're experiencing the devastating consequences. David was forgiven by God through Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice, correct? Right? 
but the consequences of his sin were severe. I'm going to raise up evil against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. He's going to lie down with your wives and the son. You did it in secret. I'm going to do it in public. Nevertheless, even the child uh, that is born to you is going to die. And chapters 13 through 20 are an outworking of the consequences of David's sin against Bathsheba. He had a son who was so lustful after his half-sister that he took her to himself uh, and raped her. And the brother of that sister was so angry with his half-brother that two years later he plotted for his death and murdered him. That David had a son, Absalom, who rose up against his father and created a coup in his house. And David was cast out of the city. And Absalom, in fleeing after those who rose up to defend David, fled the city and his hair got caught in a tree. And those who pursued him came and speared him to death. And David came up upon his son dead. And David, in this situation, giving birth, Bathsheba gave birth to this little boy. And this little boy suffered for seven days. And David wept. And it was a severe mercy that David pleaded before the Lord. And he was so distraught that those who were around him said, we don't even know what to say to him now that the child's dead. We're afraid he might even commit suicide. They said he would do something to harm himself. There was severe mercy consequence within this life and folks we need to understand that sometimes we approach christianity like the child approaches the parents or the spouse approaches their beloved well i said i'm sorry i said i'm sorry what do you mean i i I lose my car what do you mean there's consequence what do you mean you're not going to be married to me anymore what do you mean this is happening. What do you mean uh, all of this is happening? What do you mean? David understood that there was consequence. And here's how we know that. For when the child died, what did David say? What do you mean, God? I said I'm sorry. No. He got up. And he washed himself. He consecrated himself. And he dressed. And he ate. And what did he do? He worshipped. He worshipped. Because he said, there is no consequence for my sin which was deserved. That can trump and can outmaneuver, can overpower what I have received by not dying. By receiving the love of a God through Christ. And you are worthy of praise regardless if if I bear in my own family and in my own life the marks and the consequences of my sin. For there will be consequences. The Lord disciplines him who he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12. The Lord disciplines us. And these consequences demonstrate the exceeding evil of sin. They show that God does not take lightly, even even when He lays aside His punishment. And it is to humble and to sanctify the forgiven sinner. Now these pains are heavy. And they're not to be dealt with lightly. But folks, you have to see beyond just the current circumstance and see them in light of the eternal circumstance. Because the fact of the matter is someone had to pay. And what David knew was this, I don't have to pay. 
And I'm overwhelmed by that. I don't have to pay. And I know this God is a gracious and incredible God, so much so that I'm wondering if he'll relent on his punishment. But if he doesn't, he's still worthy of my praise. Because I cannot bring my child back to me, but I know that I'll go to be with my son. I wouldn't stake a whole theology on it, but there's something beautiful within that about covenant children. It's not an age of accountability, for the child was a week old. But there's something beautiful about the graciousness of God, which said, hey David, you're going to get to see that son again one day. And it wasn't just David saying, I'm going to die too. What comfort is that? It was David saying, I get to go be with him. I get to see this child because my God is gracious and I know that Christ, whom I haven't met yet, but is going to come out of this lineage of Bathsheba. How amazing is that, right? Remember David's line went through Bathsheba to Solomon and all the way down to Jesus. And he said, it's through this that your Redeemer comes. And in the midst of this consequence, God is still worthy of praise. Folks, my invitation to you is this. See the bigger picture. Too often we live in the consequence in the moment. Experience that. We feel that, yes. But step back from it and recognize if it was this much of an offense to God and it cost Him this much to forgive me, then I am willing to bear the consequence of my action and still worship God. There are so many people who leave the church because they see God uh, as evil. They see God as unjust. They see God in some way when how and what we should really do is see and view everything in light of the surpassing greatness of God in Jesus Christ. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it easier. But at least we can come through it and still see God in that way. And so my invitation to you now as I invite the team to come up. One day, someone's going to have to pay. Christ has already paid for all of those who have faith in Him. And if you've determined that you don't believe in Him, then one day you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to pay. Because a payment is going to be paid. And that's not to scare the hell out of you. It's not. My hope is that it's going to scare you out of hell. My hope is that it's going to shock you and to say, I don't want to stand before God and say my good deeds are better than my bad deeds. I want you to one day have to stand before God and point to Christ and say, His good deeds are mine. And He paid His death for my life. And in that and when you see that, we worship this deep love that our Father has for us. Let's pray.